pull over to the side of the road and I watch the cars pass me by. The headlights and the black limousines tell me someone is saying goodbye. I bow my head and I whisper a prayer, Father. As I drive away, there's a thought that I I cannot escape. No, I cannot escape this thought. I can't get away. Oh, if this should be my last day on this earth, haven't you?
So Christina asks us the question, if you knew that tomorrow you would die, or if you knew that tomorrow Jesus Christ would return to take away his church, would you live any differently today, or would you have lived any differently in these last few months? There's a, a phrase that I caught during that song was, before I breathe the air of heaven, let me live this life with abandon. And it, it begs the question, are we? If you knew that tomorrow you were going to see Jesus face to face, would it make a difference in what you're doing now? If you were to see, and and so often in the scriptures you'll read this title, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord meaning the one who is supreme. He is, if you will, president of all that has been created. There is no authority higher than his authority, and no one has the ability that he has, and he has always existed and always will exist. That's Lord. He rules everything. Jesus, if you will, the president remained president but laid aside his presidential powers and became a normal citizen like you and me and walked with us, understood our pain and understood our frustrations and our difficulties and also recognized the fact that we have pending criminal charges against us for breaking the laws that he has established. And because he is president, he has to, it is the law, he has to enforce those laws and the penalties against those who break those laws. And so he says, because I love you so much, I will take your penalty, your charges upon me, and I will die. And he did. And then he rose again so that he could take the power that he used to live on this earth and the power that lifted him from the grave and give that to us so that no longer would we have to say, I do not have the ability to please you. I don't have the ability to live out this life the way you designed it. He said, now I give you that ability. Jesus Christ, the Messiah the one who is coming to bring justice to a world so full of injustice. So I asked this question as I thought about this this week. If I were to meet Jesus face-to-face tomorrow, would I be able to say by my lifestyle, you are Lord Jesus Christ? Or would my lifestyle say, you rule everything except my life, I won't let you have it? Will I say to him, you are Jesus, and I know you love me deeply, and I know that you've given me the power to really live the kind of life I should live, but there's still some things I'd rather do that you told me that I couldn't do, but I just really like doing them. Christ. I know you've come to bring justice to this world, and I know I see injustices around me, but I really don't have time to help bring justice where those injustices are right now. Would I be ready to see him face to face? It is the issue that Paul deals with when he sends a letter to his friends in Thessalonica. 
and they want to know what happens to somebody when they die. And he says, well, the time will come when I will return. Jesus will return, and when he returns, those people who are dead will rise first, have a brand new body, and they will meet Jesus face to face. And those who are still alive will then also lift off and meet him in the air, and they will face him face to face. And the big question that we always have is, well, when will that happen? Because we know that when he comes, he will come to judge evil. And so we know that during what will probably be a seven-year span of time, that he will release his judgment, and it will be a horrific place to be because there will be so much suffering and pain that will come against evil. And so we ask the question, will we be in that? Will we leave before it happens, those who believe in Jesus? Or will we leave halfway through that? Or will we leave at the end of it and have to walk through it? Now, I talked about this two weeks ago, and if you'd like to know more about it, please just go online and and get the podcast. But we did vote in here, and we said all in favor of leaving before it gets really bad, say aye, and you all agreed. And so we've let God know that if he wants our help, we say get us out of here first. But we don't know for sure. But in Paul's letter, where we've come to at this point, is not so much the timing. But the question is this. Are you ready to face him face to face? That is the question. And so he says this to the church at Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says this. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Pam and I have been broken into before. In fact, one night when we lived in Oregon, we were asleep in bed when a thief came in the house. We did not know he was there until he was actually leaving. Pam heard the window shut. It happened at 3.30 at night freaked me out. I wanted Pam to go check on things. (laughs) But she was wimpy. She wouldn't do it. Do you know that from that point on, for probably three months, I awakened every night at three? Not because I wanted to, but immediately at three, my mind would just wake me up because I didn't want to be unprepared if it happened again. Paul says it's just like that. The question is this, are you ready? Now understand Paul. If you've ever read Paul's writings, you'll understand that he has some peculiarities about him. And one of the things about Paul is this, that if he's got a great truth he wants you to know, using an illustration is a good thing. And if using one illustration is good, Paul believes using three or four could really be better. And so in the small passage, he crowds in an understanding of a truth. And he will go from talking about a thief coming in at night to a woman going into pregnancy or someone then being drunk in the nighttime or being ready for warfare. But everything points to this one thought. Be awake. In fact, just nudge the person next to you and say, be awake. And for some of you, that's good. He says, I want you to stay awake, and he gives us two reasons that I want us to camp on this morning. About a week and a half ago, the USA Today ran this cartoon that I thought was so appropriate, and we want to show it to you this morning. The end is near, and the people are saying, these days, that's probably a good thing. That cartoon 
encapsulates what Paul is saying. Stay awake because judgment is near. Through the years, I've shared with you what we call around our house the Dustin stories. And you that have been here for a while know that our son Dustin went through some things in his adolescent years, and and we've had permission to share those with you, and I have permission to share with you these stories. Some of the most intense moments were when Dustin was in middle school, and he basically lived in perpetual grounding. We kept not grounding in anything good. He just got grounded. And and it could be partly because he's in middle school. There's someone who describes middle schoolers as pre-people. And you know that sometimes you struggle with, with those times, and they struggle with those times, trying to discover what's happening in life. And so Dustin was one who really struggled with that. And so we found that, that we were grounding him a whole lot uh, one time for throwing rocks through the windows of an abandoned house that he found out wasn't abandoned. And the police didn't seem to like that a whole lot. One time we grounded him because he had gone down into... Uh, at that time, we had a finished basement, and we had a, a king mattress, and he and his friends hauled our king mattress up our small hallway outside, and then in wrestling fashion, were jumping off the second-story window onto our mattress. Yeah, it was great. We also grounded him once I was coming home late, and I saw him with his friends walking through our neighborhood too late at night, and I pulled up, and I said, what are you doing? And his hands went back like this. And didn't take me long to figure out that he's holding something back there. I said, what do you got? And he just said, well, nothing. I said, what do you have? And he said, well, a bag. I said, what's in the bag? Oh, nothing. What's in the bag? Nothing. Tell me what's in the bag. Poop. <laughs> I said, no, don't tell me. And if you don't know what they do with that, they, they take a bag of poop, put it on someone's porch, light it, and then ring the doorbell, and someone comes out and stamps out the fire. And then you can figure out what happens from there. So Dustin was always being grounded, it seemed. And it just happened to be one of those moments during Halloween that he was grounded. We had to come over here because we were doing, not light the night at that time, but a festival in the gymnasium. And Pam and I were going to come over and participate in that for a little while. So we said, you can't go. You're grounded. You can't have friends over. And you can't go out. But you will stand here with a bowl of candy and you will serve people that come to the door. And then we'll come back home. So we left, hung out here, came back about an hour earlier than he thought we were going to come back. When we got home, there was nobody in the house and the bowl of candy was outside on the porch, of course, empty. And somebody in costume hit the jackpot because they came up and just poured everything out of the bowl into their bag and, and left. So we called a lady in the neighborhood that knows everything about everything in the neighborhood. How many people have somebody like that in your neighborhood? How many of you are that person? (laughs) So we called her. We kind of figured out where he might be hanging out. So I drove over to the house, and I walked up to the door, and next to the door is this glass window. It's a side window to the door, and I'm looking through, and I can see him sitting in the family room with all his friends and a girl sitting on his lap, and he's having a whole lot of fun watching some program. So I just stood there. He had no idea that I was standing there. And I just watched. And he was having the greatest time. He thought everything was just fine because he planned on getting home before we did. Finally, I rang the doorbell. And he was sitting 
watching television, having fun with this girl in his lap, and he, learned, he leaned over and looked out the window, and then I could read his lips. He said this, It's my dad. <laughs> and then he jumps up, girl falls off his lap, and he runs in to another part of the house as if I had not seen him. <laughs> so they answered the door. I said, I know Dustin is here. Dustin, come out and say goodbye to your friends because you will never see them ever, 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 ever again. Now, the crazy thing about that is we got in the car and show you how we deal with judgment because, you see, he had no idea that judgment had arrived at that moment. He got mad at me for finding him. He said to me, if you loved me, you would have trusted that I would be home. How does that one work out? We live in a culture that has no idea that judgment is here. In fact, we live in a culture that says there is no father coming looking for us. There are those who then also feel that if I am not Hitler-esque, I am not that evil, then I am okay. Others who say, I'll have time to get home and fix this. But Paul says, he is coming like a thief in the night, and you're not ready. He's coming as a woman who goes into labor. And unless you've got some pretty strong medicine, the moment you start in the labor, you're not stopping that. When Pam had Christy, our firstborn, she had gone into, into labor. She'd been dilated. She'd gone through that transition time, and, and, and she's, she's doing this natural, no drugs. I wanted some. And she, I was helping her and trying to do Lamaze and, and breathe and, 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 and concentrate on this thing and effleurage. I'm trying to get her focused. And, and she just reaches up and she grabs me. She says, I'm done now. Let's come back tomorrow. I said, honey, we, you've got to finish this. Go away. I didn't have an answer. He said, when he arrives, when Jesus arrives, it will be as if you didn't even know he's coming, and secondly, you can't stop it. So he says, you know the times and the dates. If you look at the wording, it actually means that you know the predictions and you know the circumstances that are surrounding this, and you know, you know what's about to happen. And there are those who say, I can fix this. I can wait and at the last moment fix this. And he says, no, he will come like a thief in the night. The Romans that were there in Thessalonica had this saying that came from the Roman Empire. And it was this term, peace and safety. Because the Roman Empire said, if you're part of our citizenry, then we will protect you, and we are the greatest nation, we are the greatest empire, and you will always live in peace and safety. Peace and safety. Peace and safety. And so Paul says, when you are saying peace and safety, oh, 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 be careful, because you see, 20 years after he wrote this, the Roman Empire began to fall apart. And he's saying, don't believe the propaganda. 20 years before Paul wrote these words, Jesus of Nazareth said these words. 
Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, that if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We have a problem with this concept of a loving God being a judge. He just can't judge. But I want to tell you and propose to you this morning that coming judgment is a good thing. In a world that we live in of injustice, of bullying, of murder, of oppression, don't you think it would bring us joy when the evil is confronted and the poor and the weak get their due? Don't you find that something rises up inside of you when John Wayne comes riding into the rescue and saves the people? 007 gets the girl and, the, and his evil nemesis is caught? Doesn't that rise up? Yes, justice is done. But in addition to that, what we don't think about is when justice comes back to this earth, the earth will then be reverted back to what God had designed in the very beginning a place of justice. And it's described by Isaiah the prophet. You don't have these in your notes, but I, these scriptures, but I want you to see this. Isaiah 11, verse 4. He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he'll put on sturdy work clothes and boots and build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. And the wolf will romp with the lamb. The leopard sleep with the kid. Calf and lion will eat from the same trough, and a little child will tend them. Cow and bear will graze the same pasture. Their calves and cubs grow up together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will crawl over rattlesnake dens, and the toddler stick his hand down the hole of a serpent. Neither animal nor human will hurt or kill on my holy mountain. The whole earth will be brimming with knowing God alive, a living knowledge of God, ocean deep and ocean wide. That's the promise of when he comes to judge. That's how we will live. And so we say, that's great. God, take out Al-Qaeda. Take out North Korea. Take out the Mexican cartel. Lord, re remove credit card companies. <laughs> Cholesterol. Simon Cowell, out. <laughs> Remove all the evil. But then that causes a problem for me. Because when he comes, he is going to judge all evil. You see, if, if, you, if he grades on a curve and he sticks me with Hitler and sticks me with, with Tiger Woods or Lady Gaga then I can probably say, although they're not all equally evil, I think I'm I probably, on a curve, I'm okay. I think I'll do all right. But what if he sticks me with Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, or Pam Reisner? <laughs> and she is a saint. I'm in trouble. The good news is that he doesn't grade us on a curve. The bad news is that it's pass-fail. And the testing criteria is this. Thou shalt not. And I have.
You should not worship anything other than God and hold that in higher esteem, I have. You should not lose your temper. I don't think God knew about Peachtree. You should not lust. I've done it. You should not be selfish. I've done that. And the scripture calls that evil. And here's what Paul says about that to the church at Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. For we must all stand before Christ to be what? Judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. So I'm caught in this wave of judgment. Yeah, take care of Al-Qaeda, take care of that, but the problem is it just keeps coming, this wave, and it's going to deal with me. And here comes this one called Jesus, who brings what they called the gospel. The gospel was a terminology used by the Romans to declare a celebration of an emperor who was just born, a new ruler. It was a great celebration. They said, there is now one. Paul said, there is now one. This is the gospel, the good news, the celebration. There is a new emperor, a new leader, and his name is Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a cause for celebration, but why he's coming to judge? Because he comes to take our judgment on himself. And this is good news. And he dies for that reason. So if, if future judgment is a good thing, I want to propose to you that present justification is a great thing. You say, well, what does that mean, that, that, that term justification? Paul describes it this way when he's writing to the church at Rome. And he says this in Romans 8.1. Now there is... So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to whom? Christ Jesus. It's called justification. It means that I'm declared innocent now for what will happen on the day of the Lord and his judgment. I am declared innocent now for when he returns. It's already in motion. And the one that is coming is not some vengeful tyrant. But the one that is coming has been described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Our sins were placed upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The one who is coming loves sinners and takes their sin on himself. Stay awake. Because if he's coming, then we need to be in this justified position. And the only way we can do that is to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stay awake. Because self-control is here. Several weeks ago, Pam and I went down for a baseball game at PNC Park. The Indians were playing the Pirates. And when you walk into the stadium, one of the first counters you see is a counter for designated drivers. I thought, well, that's just, that's odd until we were sitting around the people that were drinking around us. I said, yeah, we need designated drivers. So why a designated driver? Well, because people know that those who have too much alcohol are going to have trouble staying focused. The designated driver can see clearly what is ahead 
the drunk can't. The, 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 the designated driver can't make wise choices. The drunk can't. The designated driver respects other people and themselves. The drunk cannot do that. Now listen to what Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 5. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. He says you've got, and understand, in the culture you live, you've got two realms. You've got dark, you've got light. You've got night, you've got day. You've got drunk, you've got sober. The word actually is self-control. can be interpreted either way, sober or self-controlled. And he said, because you have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are not of the night, you are of the day. You are not of the darkness, you are of the light. You are not drunk, you are sober, you are self-controlled. You in this culture are the designated drivers. Not because you are so good at what you do and can be proudful, but when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you are able to see ahead what is coming. You are able to respect others and yourself. You are able to make wise choices that will captivate others who are around you. Again, not because you are great, but because you walk in humility and Jesus lives within you. In this culture that does not know what it's doing, you must stand as the one self-controlled. Stay awake. You are the designated driver for this culture until Jesus returns. You're it. How do you do that? Well, Paul goes on and says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, but since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled. There it is, sober. Putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. How do I stay awake and how do I be self-controlled? Let me give you what he says here, three specific movements. The first is this, declare our faith up front. The breastplate is an upfront piece of armor. It takes on the frontal attack. Put your faith up front in your life. You say, well, what is faith? Well, ladies, you may have done this. You go to some social gathering, and, and you're, you're not attached to anybody. You're not married, and, and, and you're single, and, and you, you start talking with a guy, and you, you really like him. The chemistry's there. So you go to his friend, and you say, is he seeing anyone? Well, why? Did he have a white cane? D- did you notice cataracts? His glasses really thick. You say, no, 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 no. No, that's not what that means. That means, is there some other woman with whom he is fixated? He's focused on that person. And that relationship that he's fixated on dictates who he is and how he will act. There'll be those moments that Pam and I will be out in public. And a woman will walk by that will be beautiful. And she will say to me, isn't she beautiful? Do you know the proper answer? (laughs) You better. The proper answer is, oh, I didn't even notice. (laughs) 
You don't say, yeah, and she was hot. Why? Because Pam is the person upon whom I am fixated. All activity and who I am go through that filter. That is the relationship I have. And when people think of me, they need to think of Pam and Jack. When people think of you, do they think of you and Jesus? Is that who you're fixated on? Some of you are so fixated on certain things that when Christina danced today, you said, oh, Steeler colors. (laughs) Faith says this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that he has come right now to judge the earth, confront it, and will then confront it later personally and visibly. I believe that he took the form of a servant and was obedient to his father even for obedience to death on a cross where he took our sins upon him and then he rose again confronting evil and death so that every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and that he is returning for his church and will rule and reign forever. That must be up front in our lives if we are fixated on him and that is how we stay awake so that people will look at us and say, Jack and Jesus. That it must become extremely obvious by the way we live that that is what we believe. Absolutely, because it's what he expects. Declare our faith up front. Live our love out front. You know the story of the Good Samaritan. And if I asked you the moral of the story, you'd tell me, whoever's in need, take care of them. But that is not necessarily how it's interpreted in other parts of the world. Listen to what Mark Allen Powell writes. He says, when I lived in Tanzania, I found that very few people thought that this was the meaning of the story. Or at least they did not think this was central to what the story taught us. The moral of the story, they told me, is that people who have been beaten, robbed, and left for dead cannot afford the luxury of prejudice. They will and should accept help from whomever whoever offers it. Indeed, the main point of the story is that God helps us in unexpected and surprising ways. Therefore, when grain is brought to a A famished village, parents of starving children should not care whether it is the Muslims or the Roman Catholics or the Jehovah Witnesses who bring it. God can work through anyone, including those who might regard as we might regard as heretics and apostates, which is how Jesus would have or how the Jews would have viewed the Samaritans. To the extent that the story raises the question, Who is my neighbor? the answer it provides is not whoever needs my help, but whoever helps me. You see what love does? Love levels the playing field. So if I'm with a group of people, and, and you guys right here in this row, stand up. Come stand by me right here. That's it. Move this way. So excited to see me, aren't you? So I'm with a group of people. And, and right here, Dylan, whoa, he's a strong believer in Jesus. He's my bud. And so, this is great. A Muslim right here. (laughs) Your parents didn't know, did they? 
a Hindu, a Jehovah's Witness, and just a rotten pagan. (laughs) If I love the way that Jesus loves, I cannot receive from them or give to them with any prejudice. You say, but wait, you don't believe what the rest of them believe. That's right. But love is not given based upon belief. Love is given based upon humanity. So whoever you're with, you give the same kind of love you'd give to anybody because that is exactly what Jesus did. And so when I come to these guys, I give equally as best I can to each, no matter how we disagree in our views of life or God. Does that make sense? Thank you, all of you. Have a seat. Now here comes the problem. Generally, we have real difficulty with the next step. We can probably do that to the best of our ability, but when we get with other believers and they offend us when they should have known better, we like to hold back our forgiveness because they should have known. I'm sorry, but you cannot find that qualifier in Scripture. Because if that is the case, Jesus would never forgive us. So when you have been offended by somebody you should have known better, love forgives offense immediately and deals with it. That's why he said you keep praying. When you're praying, give us this day our daily bread and all that other stuff, you pray this. Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who have debts against us. Forgive us the trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Forgive us as I forgive others. We need to live our love out front and it needs to be lived that way. Stay awake. Finally, he says, stay awake by fixing our hope within. After the young couple had brought their baby home, their first baby from the hospital, Mama said to Daddy, Would you like to learn how to change the diaper? He looked, he said, Oh, I'm really busy. I'll do the next one. So she waited, and when the diaper was really full, she said, Honey, now would you like to learn how to change the diaper? He looked at her kind of odd, and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't mean I'll do the next diaper. I meant I'll do the next baby. <laughs> These people in Thessalonica are going through a load full of stuff. Their friends are being killed because of their faith. They're being ostracized by their families. They're losing their jobs. They're being imprisoned. They're being ridiculed. It is tough. And there's this temptation to say, I can't live this right now. I'll do the next one. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You have the ability right now, no matter what you're facing, to make it through this thing. So he says this to them. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So I want to say to you this morning, according to this scripture, the bad times will end. He said he did not mean for you to suffer all that wrath. 
the bad times will end. It's his promise. He said, I'm bringing you salvation. In other words, I'm rescuing you right now. You're in the midst of being rescued. If you were drowning, if you, if you had been afloat for days and just wanted to give up, and then you see the ship coming, the rescue ship coming, would you just say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter? You are being rescued right now. Do not stop. Don't give up. You're being rescued. That's the promise. By whom? The Lord, the powerful one, the supreme one, has power over everything. Jesus, the one who loves you so much that he gave his life for you, he is so passionate that he gave his life rescuing you. Christ, the one who knows the injustice that you suffer, is coming to bring justice to you. Don't give up. So that you and I can live with him forever. Stay awake. So I want you to stand. And we're going to read this last scripture passage, only we're going to personalize it now, and I want you to personalize it by talking about I. And take hold of this passage as an encouragement to you. And read this out loud, and and not in a mumble, but just like you're yelling at the kid across the street. Read this with me. Ready? For God did not appoint me to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through my Lord Jesus Christ. He died for me so that whether I am awake or asleep, I may live together with him. Now, may you discover today that your faith is out front. May you have opportunity to love without prejudice. And may you discover the power of God to walk you through whatever you face today. And tomorrow, knowing that you are being rescued. And may that very life attract others to discover who the Lord Jesus Christ is. In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, before you go, if you want to know more about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, before you go out these doors, stop by our information desk in the back. We have a gift for you that will help you on your journey. Please do that. God bless you. Have a great week.